We're beginning a new series this week entitled The Blueprint, God's Master Plan for Your Life. And we're going to go through the book of Nehemiah. Let me tell you a few things about Nehemiah, a little bit of background. Nehemiah was written halfway through the book of Ezra. So if you read the book of Ezra, the first six chapters are before Nehemiah is written. The rest of the book is after Nehemiah. Also, Esther is about ten years before Nehemiah. It's very possible that when Nehemiah went to the king and got permission to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, it says the queen was seated there, that that was actually Esther. And that's why Nehemiah had favor to go back and build, because the king's wife, the queen, was Jewish. So we're not sure if that was her or not, but it's probable that it was. Zechariah and Haggai were written about the same time Ezra was. So you've got Zechariah, Haggai... And the first part of Ezra being written, then Esther, then Nehemiah, then the last part of Ezra. So all of these books are talking about this rebuilding time after the captivity. We just talked about the book of Daniel. Daniel was toward the end of the 70 years of captivity. Jeremiah toward the beginning of the 70 years of captivity. So that gives you a little bit of background. Also, until the 4th century B.C., there was no book of Nehemiah. Now listen to me, it was there, but it wasn't called Nehemiah. It was called the second book of Ezra. There was the first book of Ezra, which we now know as Ezra, and the second book of Ezra, which we know as Nehemiah. But it's very obvious that Nehemiah penned the book, and so we call it Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is about rebuilding Jerusalem. And we're going to use that about rebuilding our lives and the principles about building our lives around the kingdom of God, all right? Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hahaliah. I, I learned that in the last service. One of our Jewish pastors told me that. And maybe I'm supposed to say Hahaliah, but it's as it's close as I can get to it. It came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the citadel. All right, forget all that because it doesn't mean anything. We, 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 can't, we don't understand it. Let's just go on. Verse 2, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, the 70 years, in Babylon, and concerning Jerusalem. Notice he asks about two words that begin with J, Jews and Jerusalem. Jews and Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress... And reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down. Its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, we're going to look at Nehemiah and we're going to get to the spiritual application to us today of Nehemiah. But I cannot take you to the spiritual application without first talking about the literal application of this book. And I'm excited about this because this is a principle that Gateway Church is built on, and you probably heard us talking about it, but you may not know why we do it. In the first year of Gateway Church, we began sowing very heavily into Jewish evangelism. As a matter of fact, the first service we have every month is our Messianic service. 
So it's the first. We talk about giving the first to God. The first service we have, because the first Friday of every month is our Messianic Jewish service, so it's before we even have a service on Saturday evening. So there is something that God did in my heart years ago about Israel that I want to impart to you and about the Jewish people. So I have some points. I wrote the whole message because I have such a burden. I said, God, this is what I want to say, and I, this is what I feel like you want me to say, and I wrote it, but I didn't have any points. And I was talking with Debbie about the message, you know, I told you like I always do. And I said, I don't have any points. She said, I'll give you some points. So I said, okay. She said, you always like three. So number one, Debbie's always right. <laughs> number two, Robert's always wrong. Number three, God loves Israel. So anyway, I'm not, I'm not going to use those points, okay? Although they are true, but I'm not going to use those points. All right, here's the points. Number one, am I concerned about Jewish people? And I'm saying that in first person because I want you to answer that question for yourself. Am I concerned about Jewish people? Now, let me tell you how this happened to me. I was having a quiet time back in the early 90s. And I was asking God, where do you want me to read? And sometimes I'm on a daily reading. Sometimes I'm reading through books in my quiet time, books of the Bible. Other times I literally feel like it's just a time where I should say, and sometimes just someday I'll just say, God, where do you want me to read? And I'll just listen until He impresses a book and chapter on me. And that was that day, and I felt like he said Psalm 122. So I went to Psalm 122. You don't need to turn to it. We'll go to Acts 13 in a minute. But verse 1 is a verse you're probably familiar with. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You ever heard that scripture? So I thought, okay, I remember this psalm. But I got down to verse 6, and this is what it says. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. And there I am in my quiet time, and the Lord said to me, I want you to do that. And it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So here's what I did. Let me show you how I had been deceived at that time. I read a scripture that says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it. And here's what I did. I started praying for the church. And the Lord said to me, I didn't tell you to pray for the church. I told you to pray for Jerusalem. And every now and then, I feel like I kind of have to help the Lord get back on track. You know? And so I, I explained to him how that it's the same thing in Scripture. And then he kindly, gently, and harshly explained to me that it is not the same thing. There is a false doctrine that has been spoken in the church today. It's called replacement theology. It is the theology that the church has replaced Israel. You cannot back that up in Scripture. As a matter of fact, let me tell you what Scripture actually teaches. It teaches that we as Gentiles who believe in Jesus have been grafted into the commonwealth of Israel. And we're now citizens of Israel. We've been grafted in with Israel, believing Israel. It's totally different. And if you don't see that, you'll miss all these wonderful Scriptures. You'll also miss all these wonderful promises. And let me say something to you very, very careful. Please hear this. If God is not going to keep His promises to them, why would He keep His promises to us? Either God is a promise-keeping God or He isn't. And if you will read Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and, and Romans and Ephesians and understand that there is a land called Israel, there are people that were the chosen people. And I'll tell you why later God chose them. Not because they were special. As a matter of fact, He even actually says, I did not choose you because you were special. But he says that. And He even says, I didn't choose you because you were the largest nation. Does anyone know about Israel? It's the smallest nation. 
Smaller than the state of Rhode Island. That's how small it is. God said, here's the reason He chose them. He said, I chose you because you were the smallest. Because if the smallest could become the strongest, then the rest of the world would know that your God's the true God. So, I'm not saying Jewish people are more important to God at all. But they have a plan in history that affects us today. And we need to understand that in the church. And Satan understands the plan, so he has actually tried to get us to hate the Jews for hundreds of years. So, God put this in my heart to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Then I go into the elders meeting that day at this church where I was an associate pastor a few years ago, back in the early 90s. And one of our elders during prayer time said, I feel like we ought to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And, you know, I'm like, ooh, 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 I got that scripture this morning. God spoke that to me. So we did. After we prayed, one of the other elders said, you know, I I hear a lot about Israel, but I really don't know what Israel has to do with us today. And so this other elder, who now is the head of the Messianic Jewish Bible Institutes all over the world, said, I can share that with you. And he began sharing with us in Romans and Ezekiel and, and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ephesians. And all of a sudden, that day, my eyes were open. Now, you have to understand, this has happened to you in some area of your life. As believers, God's always opening things to us. They're not new because they've been in the Bible for years, but they're new to us. You know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, you see maybe the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the baptism in the Spirit or salvation for the first time. Or you see deliverance and, and how we can overcome the enemy. Once you see Israel and your eyes are open, you'll start seeing it all through Scripture. And you'll see how it ties in with what God's doing. And so that's what happened for me that day. I saw God's plan. Now, I was praying, and we were praying as an eldership, for a divine plan to reach Muslims. We're praying for that at that time. Before this elders meeting, for years we've been praying, God, give us a plan to see Islam fall and to reach Muslims with the gospel. So we're reading along that day. And all of a sudden, I saw God's plan in the Scripture. Let me um, just remind you of something. Have you ever noticed that God's plan is always opposite of our plan? For instance, if someone does you wrong, your plan is, I'm going to tell him off. And you go through the conversation in your mind of what you're going to tell him next time you see him. God's plan is... Forgive him, act as if it never happened, and bless him. That's exactly opposite of my plan, right? Okay. God's plan is always opposite. If you want to receive, give. If you want to live, that's pretty opposite. All right. So, think about this. If you want to reach Muslims, you know what common sense would tell you? Hate the Jew. Because radical Islam hates the Jew. Am I telling the truth? I'm reading in, we're reading in Ezekiel 36. You know what Ezekiel 36 says? It says, the nations around you, speaking to Israel. Well, the nations around Israel are Muslim. The nations around you are going to know me when you worship me. When you accept me as your Messiah, they're going to worship me also. So all of a sudden I saw, you know what? This makes no common sense at all. But the way we're going to reach Muslims is actually love Jews. And take the gospel to Jews. So, my first question is, am I concerned about Jewish people? Here's question number two. Am I concerned about God's order? Have you noticed that God has an order? Have you noticed that God thinks His order is the best way? Let me say it another way. 
fact, it's not just that God thinks His order is the best way. He thinks it's the only way. He has an order to the tabernacle. He has an order to the sacrifices. He has an order to how we're to approach certain things and do certain things. He wants His order done. Do you think God has an order for world evangelism? He does. And would it include Israel? (laughs) Well, I'm going to read you a scripture that pastors quote all the time, and they only quote the first part of it. And the second part's inspired too. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And that's where pastors stop. But it goes on to say, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. See, world evangelism, God wants the whole world saved. He wants the whole world saved. But the way we take the gospel to the world is we take the gospel to the Jew first. It's like tithing. If you'll give the first portion of your income to God, the rest is blessed. And if you'll give the first part of your evangelism efforts to the Jews, the rest is blessed. It's God's order. The reason I know this is because we started this here in Gateway in the very first year of Gateway Church. We started giving to Jewish evangelism first. And we have literally, by God's grace, been able, this church right here has been able to take the gospel all over the world. It is incredible the countries that we're in and the apostles in those countries that God has hooked us up with. And the resources that we've been able to sow into those countries and into those ministries. Why? Because I think we're doing it God's way. We're following God's order. God has a specific order, and it's very, very clear. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is what Paul said. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That is, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then he, this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it's in your Bible, to the Jew first. Jesus followed this. When Jesus came, He said, I've been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He took the gospel to the Jew first. Paul, everywhere he went, he takes the gospel to the Jew first. Now, look at Acts chapter 13. And I'll show you these scriptures where everywhere Paul goes, he takes the gospel to the Jew first. Acts 13, verses 1 through 4, talk about how he sent them out. Okay? And how the apostles were sent by the Holy Spirit. But I want you to notice the first place they went once they were sent by the Holy Spirit, all right? Now look at verse 5. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They preached the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. All right, look at verse 14. But when they departed from Persia, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. First place they go to preach the gospel to the Jews. Acts 14, verse 1. Now it happened in Iconium that they were together in the synagogue of the Jews. And so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and of the Greeks, believed. Acts 17. Maybe it's over a page or two in your Bible. Acts 17, verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now look at Acts 18, because this has been a misinterpreted scripture. Acts 18, verse 5. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, and that got him angry, and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Okay, look at me. I understand Paul said this, but it's not the end of the story. Here's my problem. People have built a doctrine on that, 
and did not even read the very next verse. Don't look at your Bibles. We will in just a moment. They have built a doctrine on this, and I understand Paul was called to the Gentiles. And that is even more reason for us to understand God's order, because even though he was called to the Gentiles as an apostle to the Gentiles, everywhere he went, he still went to the Jews first. See, I'm a Gentile pastor, but I should understand this principle about going to Jew first. All right, so he says, I'm going to Gentiles. All right, watch the next verse, verse 7 and 8. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God. Now watch this whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. He didn't stop going to the Jews. He's witnessing, they're opposing him, and then they blaspheme. And he gets upset, and as he's upset, he makes this statement, I'm just going to the Gentiles. And he walks next door and says, how much you want for your house? I want to rent your house. And the guy tells him, and he rents the house next door to the synagogue. This is the guy that people have made the doctrine up that he didn't have anything to do with Jews. Oh no, he just rents a house next door. And then he wins the ruler of the synagogue to Christ. And then, let's just keep going because then he goes to another city, Acts 18 verse 19, just a few verses down, and he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue. And reason with the Jews. He did not stop going to the Jews first. Acts 19, verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months. That's a long revival. Reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Paul knew that God's order is to... God wants the whole world saved. But he has a way to do it. You take the gospel to the Jew first. It's just like tithing. You give the first 10%, the rest of your money's blessed. You want your evangelism efforts blessed? Give to the Jew first. And then God blesses the rest. All right, here's the third question. Is God concerned about Jewish people? This is a big question. See, the first one was, am I concerned about Jewish people? Second question, am I concerned about God's order? Am I concerned that I live my life according to God's order? Third question, is God concerned? Because if God's not concerned about Jewish people... Well, then we probably shouldn't be. Well, if you want to flip over a little so you can follow in your Bible, it's in Romans 11. And you're in Acts 19 now, so that's just a little bit to the right. But Romans 11, look at verse 1. I say then, has God cast away His people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite. See, this isn't talking about the church. Of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. And then look at verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled... That they should fall. Or in other words, that they're out of it forever now. Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, watch this. Now, if their fall is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? You know what he's saying? (laughs) If their falling away was a good thing for you, how much more they're coming back. Are, are y'all following me? This is New Testament. This is your Bible. This is talking about the people of Israel. And look at verse 15. If they're being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Okay. What would be another word for life from the dead? Resurrection. 
What's another word for the second coming? Resurrection. The resurrection of the dead. That takes place at the second coming. Let me tell you what God's doing. There's going to be a day when Israel accepts their Messiah. Because Jesus actually prophesied it. He said, you're going to say one day, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You're going to. And after this, the end's going to come. And here's what this is telling us in Romans 11. If their falling away was good for the Gentiles, how much more will their acceptance be? Except resurrection death. There is a worldwide revival coming before the end of the world. And let me tell you what sets it off. The Jews accepting their Messiah. Now, let me tell you who knows this because he's read the Bible more than all of you. The devil. Satan knows that in order for Jesus to come back, the Jews have to accept him. So you know what he's done? He's done everything he could, now listen carefully to me, to get the church to hate the Jews. The Jews have suffered persecution for hundreds of years, not at the hands of Muslims. That started in 1920. Hadn't even been a hundred years. But hundreds of years, you know who persecuted them? The church. Burned their houses. Raped their women. Murdered the fathers. Made them dig their own grave. The church. With crosses on their chest. Lined them up with machine guns and with a cross on their chest. Said to them while they killed them, This is for what you did to our Lord. And the church did that. A Jew is more afraid of a cross than he is a swastika. Because we persecute him. You know why? Because Satan convinced us to hate him. Now, in the last generation, it is absolutely amazing what God's doing. God is stirring our hearts. We're beginning to love Israel. We're beginning to see God still has a plan. More Jews have accepted Jesus in the last 40 years than in the 1960 years before. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Jews are coming to Jesus all over the world. We have Jews accept Christ every month in our Messianic service. Every month we have people saved. Every month. It was unheard of years ago. But let me tell you the latest lie of Satan. Here's the latest lie of Satan. Because he can't get the church to hate him anymore. So now he's saying, okay, okay, it's okay if you love Israel and take trips over there and, you know, all that stuff. That's okay. But you need to understand that they're going to be saved in the end anyway. They don't need Jesus to be saved. And there's even books out on that right now and popular Bible teachers who are teaching that right now. That all Israel's going to be saved. I believe all Israel's going to be saved. Not apart from Jesus, though. Jesus looked at a Jew named Nicodemus and said, you must be born again. So you want to get the theology? Get it straight from Jesus. Jesus said to the Jews in John 14, no one comes to the Father but through me. So they have to accept Jesus. Listen, when I talk about blessing Israel, I'm not talking about giving to their political system. The political system now in Israel is wrong. It's a man-made government and it is wrong. It is not a godly government. I'm not talking about sending money over there or something. I'm talking about the way you bless Israel is you tell them your Messiah has come. That's the only way you bless them, is by sharing the gospel with them. And here's what Satan says, well, you'll offend them. Well, I'd rather offend them than for them to spend eternity in hell. So we have to take the gospel. Now, I read you those verses out of New King James, and I told you that in my quiet time, I've used a lot of times the New Living Translation. Well, I started also reading the message. Now, I don't know if you've read the message, 
But the message is like a really modern translation. I mean, it's like you're reading along, you know, the verse like, uh, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. The message will say something like, it was really cool to go to church, dude. You know? So it's, it's a little, it's real modern. But I like it. I like reading it. Now, let me read you. Don't look at your Bibles because you can just look at the screen. Let me read you those same verses in the message. This is really good. Watch this. Romans 11, verse 11. The next question is, are they down for the count? Isn't that good? Talking about the Jews. Are they out of this for good? And the answer is a clear-cut no. Ironically, I like this. Ironically, when they walked out, they left the door open. (laughs) And the outsiders walked in. That's us. We were the outsiders. It's very, very clear. Again, Ephesians 2 says, you once were alienated from God. But now you've been grafted into the house of Israel and become fellow citizens in the commonwealth of Israel. See, we didn't replace them. We got grafted in. But the next thing you know, the Jews were starting to wonder if perhaps they had walked out on a good thing. Now, if their leaving triggered this worldwide coming of non-Jewish outsiders to God's kingdom, just imagine the effect of their coming back. What a homecoming. Is that good? And then, that was 11 and 12, then this is verse 15. If the first thing the Jews did, even though it was wrong for them, turned out for your good, just think what's going to happen when they get it right. I told you the number one question I get asked from people is, how can I hear God? The number one question I get asked from pastors I do a lot of pastor's conferences. I did one a couple weeks ago. I'm going to do one next week and then the week after as well. I speak to a lot of pastors. I have a heart to help pastors and churches. But I get asked this constantly. Here's the number one question pastors ask me. Why is Gateway Church so blessed? I mean, we have grown, you know, over 10,000 in seven years. And that's, you know, our attendance is around nine, probably twelve to 14,000 active members. And just not, we're not even seven years old yet. We paid cash for this land. We paid cash for phase one of this building, paid cash for phase two. We just paid cash for a satellite location. Now, you're generous. You are very, very generous. But God's blessed you to be generous. And God has put it in your hearts to be generous. So pastors, they're out there. They've got a vision from God. They're trying to build the kingdom too. And they're just struggling. And so they continually ask me, why is Gateway so blessed? Why is Gateway so blessed? And I remember about to speak at a pastor's conference a few years ago, and that's what they wanted me to speak on, why Gateway is so blessed. And so I'm kind of writing it down, and the Lord said to me, hey, um, that's not right. <laughs> and so I said, well, God, they, they ask me this all the time, and I'd like to know too, so I could tell the truth from now on. Why is Gateway so blessed? And you know how in the Bible... He would answer questions from the disciples with a parable. You know, like the disciples would ask him a question. He'd say, there was a farmer. <laughs> and he'd just go into this parable. You remember? And, of course, they're thinking, did he not hear me? Or what was he? Oh, okay. That's kind of what happened. I said, Lord, why are we so blessed? And you're blessed. When I say blessed, I don't mean the institution. I mean we as a people. I said, Lord, why are we so blessed? And this is what he said. He started, he did a story. He said, there was an orphanage. That's the way he started it. There was an orphanage with a thousand kids in it. And the head of the orphanage was a harsh, 
mean man. And there was a very wealthy, loving father that lived close by. And his desire was to adopt all of the kids in the orphanage. All 1,000. But the head of the orphanage didn't want him to. So he made an agreement where he could adopt ten. Now follow this analogy. Because this is exactly what the Lord spoke to my heart. So that we could understand this. And so his plan was to bless those ten and to be so wonderful to those ten that the other 990 would want to be adopted also. And so he began to bless them. And then the other, many of the other 990, not all, but some of them, they wanted to be adopted too. And so he went back to the head of the orphanage. But the head of the orphanage didn't want to budge. He didn't want to give up any of them. And so the very wealthy, loving father made a deal with the head of the orphanage that he would give his own son for payment for all the rest of them. And so he did. And the head of the orphanage killed his son. But now all 990 are paid for. Paid in full. All they got to do is just walk out any time and go to the father's house. So some of them started walking out and started going to the father's house. But the sad thing happened, a very sad thing happened when they started going to the father's house. The original ten got jealous and left. And then something happened that's even more sad than that. Some of these 990 that came, all of them haven't come yet. All of them won't come. But the ones that did come started persecuting the ten that left. And started throwing rocks at them and calling them names. And then the Lord said this to me. I'm sitting in my quiet time. The Lord says, And then, Robert, one day you came to me with tears in your eyes and you said, Dad, I have a burden for your original ten kids that left. And if it's all right with you, I want to go try to get them to come back home. And the Lord said, And when you did that, I reached in my pocket and I pulled out my wallet and I said, How much do you need? Well, that's why Gateway Church is so blessed. We're blessed because we're taking the gospel to the whole world, but we're doing it God's way. And we're taking the gospel to the Jew first. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.